Hello everyone, this is Pastor Joyce Erickson with BelieversBibleSchool.com. We are doing a book study of the Bible, the book of Acts, and we are about to enter into chapter 8. So if you want to listen to the other seven chapters as well as the background study, please go to the earlier podcasts and listen because we're walking all the way through the book of Acts, all 28 chapters. But before we go into chapter 8, I do want to say that there are so many lessons a Christian can learn from studying in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. Because what we're going to be doing now is inter- introducing Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, his beginnings in how he persecuted Christians. We're going to learn about Philip the deacon, who turned evangelist as he uh, ministered to the Samaritans, and how his obedience to the Lord brought many to Christ. And as we go through that, we can see many practical lessons of which we will talk about at the end of this chapter. But let's start chapter 8 by talking about Saul. Who was Saul? Saul was born in 10 AD to a Roman father and a Jewish mother in Tarsus. Tarsus was an ancient city located on the Tarsus River, about 12 miles from the Mediterranean Sea coast, in which we know of as part of Turkey today. Tarsus was a capital city. It was a cultural and intellectual center, but it was filled with pagan worship and a lot of debauchery. Saul whom we know later became known as Paul, probably came from wealth because at the age of 14, he traveled to Jerusalem to become what was called a Talmudim, or um, it could be disciple, another word, or student, or a protege of the great Gamaliel, who was the grandson of the famous Hilael, who was the greatest Pharisee of his day. So then that brings us to talk about who was Gamaliel. Well, he was a master rabbi, but he was given the title of rabbin instead of a rabbi. In other words, he was a top Pharisee of his day, and he was a member of the ruling Sanhedrin consul in Jerusalem, and he carried a lot of weight among the Jewish educators and and aristocrats of his society. So let me say this: that the usual upbringing of a Jewish boy came it began at the age of five till the age of fourteen, where they went to the local synagogue to be educated by a local rabbi. And most boys at that point, at the age of 14, they went back um, with their father. And of course, they lived with their parents, but they really uh, specialized in learning the trade of uh, of their father. However, 
if a boy was unusually bright and he wanted to extend his education, particularly in the ministry, uh, uh, providing his family had the financial means, he would then seek out a rabbi to be trained under with hopes of becoming a, a rabbi himself someday. So then the boy would leave his home and literally follow the rabbi wherever he went, becoming his Talmudin. So he learned to think and, the, and to imitate his rabbi in every respect. And then at the age of 30, this boy was now a mature religious man who could enter into the ministry. So where are we in our time frame? We are in the year 36 AD, and this Saul that we've been talking about was given responsibility of overseeing the stoning of Stephen. And it was probably one of those assignments that nobody in the Sanhedrin Council wanted to oversee, so they pass this assignment off to someone with less authority. Saul was only 26 years old at the time, and no Jewish man could enter into the ministry until the age of 30. So that would tell us that Saul was still under the training of Gamaliel, his rabbi, and probably did the dirty work that the council members just didn't want to perform. And he probably was an eager, wanting-to-get-ahead trainee, desiring to please those over him. So, and now he's given the task of overseeing a, st a stoning of which Saul carried out in great detail. So, that opens us up to chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And let's read verses 1 and 2. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now Saul was consenting to his death, meaning Stephen. At that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made, made great lamentations over him. So talking about those two verses, fear had arisen among the believers throughout Jerusalem, and they were afraid for their lives. The fear grew so intense where believers were actually uprooting themselves from their homes to move to other regions of Judea and Samaria to where they felt safe. Basically, the only ones who stayed in Jerusalem were the apostles. You know, this is kind of an interesting note that Jesus' last words to his apostles were to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth to spread the kingdom of God, and here it is, the apostles that are still remaining in Jerusalem. Because of persecution, believers scattered. Verse 3, 
Let's talk about the arrest and imprisonment that was going on in Jerusalem with the, with the believers at this point of time. Verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So here we have Saul, who was a disciple under Gamaliel, the great Pharisee, and obviously he was under the authority of his superiors in the Sanhedrin Council, but obviously he was given permission to drag both men and women believers off to prison and for women to be arrested, the Sanhedrin Council had to believe that any follower of Jesus, the one whom they crucified, they considered it a serious offense. You see, normally only men were arrested. But part of the duties of the Sadducees and the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin Council were was to go around the city and, and they would look for those who would oppose the Torah and the writings of the prophets, particularly the Sadducees would look for those who would oppose the Torah and the Pharisees, the Torah and the writings of the prophets. And one of their main targets were these followers of Jesus who had now grown to be a group called the Way. Saul, as an eager young Pharisee in training, probably trying to impress the Sanhedrin council, was now willing to go around the city arresting the very ones that, if you recall, the Sanhedrin council was spying on and they had arrested Peter twice now. And so in their weariness of trying to rid themselves of these believers in Jesus, the consul may have given their blessings to the arrest of any of these followers of Jesus to stop this movement from spreading because it was spreading like wildfire throughout Jerusalem. And as such, many Christians were arrested and many were even flogged. Saul he knew the, the law well because he had spent his life in religious training. He had the love, he had a love for God. However, his love was misguided by his heavy indoctrination into the Mosaic law and his refusal to accept Jesus as the true Jewish Messiah. So in his eagerness to impress the Sanhedrin consul, he actually thought he was doing the Lord's work with his zealousness to rid Israel of these followers of Jesus Christ. Before we go any further, I'd like to talk about the hatred that was going on with the Jews and the Samaritans. It had been going on for hundreds of years. So in 722 BC, so we are looking at over seven, about 700 years prior, the Assyrians had conquered the area of northern Israel and they deported all of the wealthy and um, the middle class Jews leaving within the land of 
um, northern Israel, the lower class poor people, to wander off in poverty throughout Israel. And those that were deported, they were put into exile in various places that the Assyrian people, the Syrian armies placed them. So then the Assyrians, what they did is they brought in lower classes of pagan people to join these poorer classes that were left in poverty in northern Israel, in which, of course, they started to intermarry. From these poorer classes of people from Israel and those others from poverty from pagan countries came the Samaritan people, and the nation of former northern Israel became known as Samaria. Now, generally speaking, the Jews of the first century, and now we're talking 700 years later, they hated the Samaritans, believing them to be compromising half-breeds who corrupted the worship of the true God and overran and took over once was northern Israel. Now, this prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans also, you know, continued when the Jews of the Babylon captivity came back to Jerusalem. So what we have is the Assyrians in northern um, Israel was taken into captivity with the by the Assyrians, and then when the Babylon conquered over Assyria, then it was in I believe five eighty three. Um, um, B.C., that the Judeans were also taken into captivity, but they went into captivity into Babylon. And so when those of the Babylonian captivity came back to Jerusalem, which was 70 years later, they came to rebuild their temple and their nation. But by this time, Samaria was now an idol-worshipping nation all unto themselves. And so this hatred grew and strong prejudices were deep-seated as the time approached as we entered into the first century A.D. All right, let's go to verse 4, and we're going to learn about Philip and he how he went to preach to Samaria. Verses 4 through 8. Therefore, those who were scattered, meaning in Jerusalem, went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down, and when we say down uh, to the city of Samaria, even though Samaria is north, Jerusalem is on top of Mount Zion, so they went down the mountains and then to uh, the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And so when the multitudes um, with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame was healed. And there was great joy in the city. So Philip, 
Philip was one of the deacons, the seven deacons that um, uh, hands were laid on by the apostles to help with the distribution of the needs of the people. Well, Philip the deacon is the one here that we're talking about. We're not talking about Philip the apostle, but Philip the deacon. And he became known as Philip the evangelist. Those believers who fled Jerusalem, they went to safe areas outside of, of Jerusalem, and some went to Samaria. This hated nation among the Judean uh, Jews because it was more of a safe haven than where they were from. So even in an idolatrous nation, they still didn't stop preaching Jesus and the kingdom of God. And Philip, again, one of the seven deacons appointed to serve the church, and we have to go back to chapter 6 on that one, also went to the capital city of Samaria in the country of Samaria, which is, was the former northern Israel, to preach Jesus. Now, we ask the question, did Philip go in fear like all of the other Jews who were under persecution? Or maybe he was directed by the Holy Spirit, but then maybe he could have been sent by the apostles to assist these scattering Jews in their journey. While the word does not say, other scriptures lead us to think that maybe Philip was sent by the apostles to assist these scattered believers in their faith as they traveled to Samaria to avoid further persecution. So then let's talk about Philip in Samaria. Multitudes of Samaritans listening and watched as Philip the deacon boldly preached the gospel as he laid hands on people for healing and displayed many miracles. In addition, Philip commanded unclean spirits to come out of those who were possessed. The unclean spirits, however, did not give, out, uh, give up without a fight, screaming all the way out. But because of the power of God that was on Philip, they came out. Philip also laid hands on or spoke healing over those who were paralyzed and lame, and they were healed. As a result, there was great joy in that city because of what God was doing through Philip. Now we're going to meet someone else, Simon the sorcerer. Verses 9 through 11. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, for the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. So Simon, the sorcerer, sorcerer, sometimes referred as Simon Magus, which was probably, you know, his name, 
He had been practicing sorcery in the city of Samaria for a very long time, and he had great success in his business. He was looked upon as someone great because he traveled practicing the sorcery. And as I had said, I don't remember which chapter was in, but sorcery and witchcraft and magic was very uh, prevalent, particularly in the pagan world. All right, so um, um, Simon was looked upon as someone great for practicing his sorcery, and he, um, people gave a lot of recognition to him. And he, he performed miracles, and there was a lot of power behind his miracles. So the people thought he came from God, or should I say the gods. Now sorcery, as I said, was a common practice in the first century, but throughout the Old Testament, it was condemned by God as an act of Satan to discredit the power of God. So this takes us to verse 12 and 13 of the 8th chapter of the book of Acts that says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So all eyes now had come upon Philip as he preached Jesus and the kingdom of God, displaying many miracles and signs. So with such many men and women came to believe in Jesus, choosing to openly proclaim their faith by being baptized in water. Even Simon the sorcerer was amazed at all that Peter was doing in the name of the Lord and declared he too believed in this Jesus, choosing to be water baptized with the rest of the people. So he continued to follow Philip wherever he ministered, and he was examining the signs and the wonders. Remember, he was a sorcerer, so he's examining Philip, all the signs and the miracles and the wonders that he was performing so that he could repeat the same thing in his sorcery business. So let's continue on. Now when the apostles, verse 14 through 17, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And verse 17, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So what we have here is the word had gotten back to the apostles, probably through traveling uh, messengers back and forth. And word had come back to Jerusalem and, and how God was using Philip 
in Samaria to reach the people for the kingdom of God. And while many of these people came to believe in Jesus as their Savior and were baptized in water, they had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, apparently, Philip did not minister this blessing to the Samaritan people. Why? The Bible just doesn't say. But when Peter and John arrived from Jerusalem, they laid hands on these new believers in Samaria, and immediately these new believers received the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as in the day of Pentecost, being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Verses 18 and 19. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon, he saw the results of Peter and John laying hands on these new believers. And as these new believers spoke with other tongues, Simon desired to have this powerful gift so that he too could lay hands on other people in his sorcery business to receive that gift as well. His motive, however, was not of God. He simply wanted more power for this this business, this sorcery business of his. He so desired this gift to where he offered the apostles money to receive it, saying, Give me this power too, so that I can lay hands on people to receive this gift. Now we got Peter speaking up in verse 20 to 23. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money? You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see... You are poisoned by bitterness and bound in iniquity. Wow, those are harsh words. The Apostle Peter, he was appalled at this request from Simon, so much to where Peter, in a rebuking manner, shouted back at him, Your money perish with you. Peter went on to tell Simon the sorcerer that this gift of God is free. It does not come with a price tag. It belongs only to those who seek God with a true heart and all that he has for them. And then Peter shouted out, You have no part in this gift because you are bound in sin, filled with bitterness in your heart. Quite a statement, isn't it? Peter then insisted that Simon Magnus repents so God could forgive him. Verse 24, Then Simon answered and said, 
Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. Now Simon responded by asking Peter to pray that none of those things which he spoke of would come upon him. So then the question is, did Simon repent of his greediness and wanting this gift from God so that he could use that power in his sorcery business? The Bible just doesn't tell us. What happened to Simon after this? The Bible is silent. Some say Simon repented. Others say he did not. Because the Bible is silent, we will leave it at we don't know. Verse 25. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And we're talking about Peter and John. So when Peter and John were done ministering the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the people, they left the city of Samaria and they headed back to Jerusalem. But on the way home, they stopped in many villages along the way to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Samaritan people. Now remember, there was so much hatred going between the two, but the apostles, they reached out to preach to these people because God loves the Samaritans as well as the Jews. So now we're going to meet a new man. We're going to meet an Ethiopian eunuch in verses 26 through 29. Then an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So in verse 27, So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Canis, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had, who had charge of all of her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So by godly design, this elite eunuch from Ethiopia who had charge over the treasury of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, had been to Jerusalem to worship God and was now traveling along this desert road when Philip, all by godly design, happened to see his cart stopped with the eunuch reading the scriptures from his scrolls. Now, I need to say this about Ethiopia. It isn't the same as what Ethiopia is today. It covered a much larger portion of what we see as, as that country. But back then, it was the land of the Queen of Sheba. And if you recall, from... Um, from the story of King Solomon, the Queen of Sheba came to see him. She later professed faith in the God of Israel, 
and her and King Solomon met, so to speak, and it is possible that her Jewish faith was passed on down through the centuries to the servants of the proceeding queens. In other words, there was Jewish descent along um, in her country, and maybe uh, the faith of her had also passed on down. Verses 31 and 30, 30 and 31. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he, and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. You know, just a thought here. It's wonderful, even today, when a witnessing opportunity comes out of nowhere, where we know without a shadow of a doubt it was directed by God. Those are wonderful times, and those are times that God is opening a door for us, and he wants us to walk through. Okay, verses 32 and 33. The place in the scripture where he read was this. This is what the eunuch was reading from Isaiah. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch was reading from Isaiah chapter 53, which describes the sacrificial sin-bearing work of Jesus, or referred to as the Messiah to come. But he was having difficult difficulty understanding what it meant. So then verse 34 says, So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Philip, he began with the common ground of the Jewish understanding of the scripture and worked his way to bring out Jesus as the Messiah and that he was crucified, he died and was buried, and he was resurrected. And verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scriptures preached Jesus to him. Philip, he began by teaching the eunuch about the true Messiah and how the, this Messiah is the Son of God who came to earth to bring mankind back into right, right relationship with God. And in doing so, this Messiah, Jesus, Jesus suffered cru crucifixion on the cross for the sins of man just as they had read from Isaiah 53. And as Philip continued to show Jesus as the Son of God and how the kingdom of God lives within, Philip also taught the eunuch the importance of baptism in water to proclaim that faith and enter into a newness of life in Christ. 
Verse 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? So what had happened is the eunuch had spotted some water and immediately pointed out that he needed to be baptized right now. So verses 37 and 38, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him. Here we see the eunuch's faith was genuine. He desired to be baptized as a declaration of his faith and then to enter into that newness of life in Christ. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Verses 39 and 40. Now, when they had come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, he was found in his Azotus, which was a town some miles away. And passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So as we wind down this chapter, we find another miracle has taken place. While the eunuch was under the water and being brought up, Philip suddenly disappeared. In other words, he was caught up and God transported him to another town, the town of Azotus. And from there, he just continued to preach in all the cities until he came to Samaria as God had led him. So what are some of the lessons that we have learned from this chapter, I think this was an awesome chapter on how God seeks to use his people to accomplish his pur uh, purpose upon the earth. First, we look at Saul. He had the best religious education, but he was still deceived. He was religious and he obeyed his religious leaders. All that to say is a person can be religious, but he can be so religious he's still on his way to hell. A person can go and be active in a church and still go to hell. God does not seek religion. God does not seek religious people. He seeks out humble people, believers in Jesus who want a growing relationship and fellowship with him. You see, everything is centered around Jesus. Then we look at Philip the Evangelist. He preached the saving knowledge of Jesus with many signs and wonders, giving God the glory. And then we have Simon the Sorcerer pretending 
to be a believer, to possess the gifts, only to receive glory for himself. Again, God uses humble believers to bring the lost to Jesus. God uses humble believers to perform signs and wonders as a tool for evangelism. And God uses humble believers to bring other believers into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Never do we use the gifts of the Holy Spirit for our own self-glorification because all glory goes to God. And then we have Philip who was walking on this desert road and he saw this Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch sitting in a chariot reading the scriptures and the Holy Spirit suddenly spoke to Philip to go to him, question him on his reading and Philip obeyed. It was a divine encounter that Philip met this Ethiopian eunuch. The thing is, God also gives us divine encounters as well. The Holy Spirit spoke to Philip to talk to the eunuch, and Philip obeyed the voice of God. Well, the Holy Spirit speaks to us as well today, and we too need to obey the Holy Spirit anointed Philip what to say to the eunuch. And when the Holy Spirit gives us an assignment to speak to someone, we must really have within ourselves that he anoints us to know exactly what to speak. And then God provided the water for this eunuch to be baptized in. In other words, God gave the provision that was needed in that particular situation. Doesn't God do the same thing for us? No matter what he is um, asking us to do, he's providing for us as needed in any given situation when we follow his leading. And when we are in relationship and fellowship with the Lord, he can use us mightily for his plans and purposes because he seeks humble and obedient children to accomplish mighty signs and wonders bringing many people to Christ. All he asks is us to be humble and obedient to his leading. So there we have chapter 8. Wasn't that a good chapter? So, as we wind down, I again encourage you to come back as we go into chapter 9 of the book of Acts. And if you haven't listened to the ones before, we have a background study and we also have chapters 1 through 7. If you want to walk through all of the book of Acts with us, and because now in our in our next podcast it will be chapter 9 and we'll go all the way to chapter 28. So thank you. Thank you for joining us with this podcast today. And so again this is Pastor Joyce Erickson saying thank you for joining us and we will talk to you next time. God bless you.